0: welcome to dads with daughters in this show we spotlight dads resources and more to help you be the best dad you can be welcome back to the dads with daughters podcast where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives raising them to be strong independent women Every week I bring you a new person, a new person to learn from, someone that is parenting in a different way, fathering in a different way, and that's important. I have told you this before, but the more that you and I have the opportunity to talk with one another, to learn from one another, the more that we are going to be able to become better fathers, because what ends up happening is that we do learn. We have the opportunity to be able to learn and grow from each other. And it doesn't mean that we're going to take on every trait or habit that other fathers are going to do, but fatherhood's a journey and it is not something that any of us have a manual for. We have to figure it out as we go along and having people that we can turn to, to be able to hear their own journeys helps us and today I've got a brand new person here today Ronnie Malley is here today and he's going to be talking to us about his journey as a father and we're going to talk about his journey as a musician and in uh, a little bit more so Ronnie thanks so much for being here today
1: thank you for having me Chris it's a pleasure
0: it is my pleasure having you here as a I always do. I love to start the, the our conversations with an opportunity to be able to kind of reflect and to think back on being a dad. And the first thing that I always ask is I want to turn the clock back in time. And I know you've got two daughters. So I want to turn the clock back in time maybe about eight years. And I want you to think back to that first moment, that first moment when you found out that you were going to be a dad to a daughter. What was going through your head?
1: Boy, that was uh... – I'll never forget that moment, actually. I was on tour, and I I was doing a theatrical production of The Jungle Book. And, you know, a kid's show, basically. So kids were all around us. Some of the kids were in the, you know, uh, the play. And it hadn't occurred to me that that was something that I was even going to have, that was going to happen. And my wife came to visit me in Boston, where we were doing A Leg of the Run. And I think she just showed me a picture. And it didn't register right away. But then I I, I immediately, almost instinctively knew that I was going to have a daughter. We didn't know, obviously. She just knew she was pregnant. But for some reason, the vision that came to my mind immediately was, we're going to have a daughter. You know, that initial wave of (laughs) fear, like my life is over, everything else, you know, that anybody naturally would have, came over, but it washed over very quickly. And my wife and I embraced and said, this is going to be one of the greatest journey is in our lives. And (laughs) I remember breaking the news to a couple of castmates. You know, we had gone out and, you know, the mind just kept going and it was on my mind. Nobody else knew yet. And we just sat down and we had a couple of drinks. And I think after a couple of drinks, I just kind of blurted it out. (laughs) And, you know, those congratulations and everything. And I I just started to imagine like, this is going to be wonderful. I had already taught children and uh, you know, in high school, I taught high school, like I had artist residencies in, in public schools and whatnot. But you know, I was still in that frame of mind, like, I love kids, and I love to be able to give them back to where they came from. <laughs> and then I didn't think about like, I'm going to have my own. And preparation for it, for me was, you know, the first thing was like, all right, all I need to do is I need to begin to really make room in my heart to love something else that is greater than both myself and my wife. And that's kind of where the journey started.
0: It definitely is a journey. And as I said, we were going back almost eight years to talk about that. And now your daughters are both in school. And you have two, and not just one. You have two daughters that have blessed your life. Now, as you look back at the last seven years, and you think ahead... A lot of times dads say that they have some fears, especially when they're raising daughters, that there's some fears in their minds about about what that means and also what it means to raise daughters in society today. What would you say is your greatest fear in raising daughters today?
1: Well, you know, obviously some of my experience is going to be biased because of the era that I grew up in. The era I grew up in, I, I saw there was not in my directly but just in culture in general there was this fear of misogyny there was a fear of like lack of opportunity for women and the first thing I think that popped in my mind as soon as I knew I was having a girl was like I want to equip her with as much confidence as much tenacity as I can to help them overcome these challenges that were in society I, I, I want to say you know equality equanimity these kinds of things um that was the first fear i would say that i had i had no doubt that i want them to be whatever they want to be and equip them the first thing you know that comes to mind is to say that i just want you to be good people that that was mainly what it is but as being a girl or projecting into the future being a, becoming a woman in this society i just thought to myself whatever i can do to equip you to help make it a better society and to afford them the opportunities as, as much as possible. That was my biggest fear, really. It's like raising girls in the society. But I think the culture that I grew up in, you know, in the 90s versus what is happening today is, you know, night and day.
0: So let's unpack that a little bit, because you said that one of the things that was important to you was to be able to help your daughters to be able to find the success. And I'm and I'm rephrasing what you said, but really finding success for their own journey in life, and that you wanted to put some things in place to be able to do that. Talk to me about what you have done thus far to be able to allow your daughters to to start that path and that journey for themselves.
1: Well, the first thing is, you know, affirmations, I guess. You know, those are more of the technical aspects of the fathering part, right? You know, the affirmations, making sure that they feel confident in what they do, free in what they do, equal You know, a few things that my wife and I also very much came to an agreement on were, one, we won't have baby talk with them. We want to talk to them, you know, that's in children in general, not just girls, but especially that. And in making that decision that, you know, we're going to talk to them, not like they're adults, but like they're humans. They're just little humans, you know. And and in making that decision, we started to really pay attention to how we're speaking too. I remember seeing, you know, this one commercial where a young girl and her brother are playing on the beach. I'm sure you've probably seen this commercial and you just hear the parents in the background and she's doing something like building a rocket or something like that, or using a drill. And the father says, Oh, honey, put that down, give that to your brother. You know, you're going to hurt yourself or honey, don't play on the beach. You're going to dirty your dress, these kinds of things. And I mean, I had been aware about, you know, the genderifying of children in, in, in our society and indoctrinating them to that. So we were very careful, actually, you know, watching our words to, to making sure that we're not trying to put them in the roles of gender in that sense. That, you know, hey, if you're interested in engineering, what can I do to, you know, help nurture that aptitude or that, that uh, interest? So we were very careful. It wasn't just pink. You like blue? We'll buy you blue. You know, if you like green, we'll get you green. So that was part of it, really, uh, I- initially, to just make them feel like they're people, not just girls or boys or, you know, because the truth is, you know, who knows what, what they might uh, how they might identify in the future either. So I, I want to leave that more onto them. I think that growing up in the 80s and the 90s, as I mentioned, I'm really making sure you know my age. <laughs> growing up in that time, though, was, I mean, That was the tail end of old ideas that were remnants of the 50s and 60s, these very conservative values. And I I grew up in a fairly conservative household. However, my grandfather, you know, believed in education, believed in women's rights. And, you know, my aunts went on to get master's degrees. They became educated. So there wasn't that sense of you get married and you get out of the house and you, you, you serve the home. Again, there's nothing wrong with that either if that's what somebody desires. I guess that's the the balance that we're pushing up against right now is like we're trying to espouse and embrace these values that we see today to treat everybody equally. Yet at the same time, we don't want to overextend or push that agenda too much because maybe they they do like to be home and maybe they, they do like to be able to have their own time and do their own thing on their own time. So it, it's, it's a delicate balance in that regard.
0: Now, as you look at the raising of your daughters, what would you say has been the hardest part of raising your daughters thus far?
1: <laughs> well, to quote a, a greeting card <laughs> that I read once, it said, you're about to have a daughter. Just make sure that you protect her precious little fingers because you're going to be wrapped around them. <laughs> and in some ways yes as a father to look into the eyes of your daughter you melt so the hard part is saying no obviously to many things they're very smart gosh you know they're smarter look it's not a secret I've been teaching for about 10 years you know girls tend to mature faster than boys they just they do Especially their minds, their psyche, their, you know, an aptitude. That's not to say there aren't special cases, but that's the hardest part is not dealing with the physicality, but this budding psychology. <laughs> you know, because sometimes boys, just by nature, I've seen, you know, are, are a little bit more physical or aggressive or, you know, and here I am trying to talk to these girls in a way that is like, well, I have to really reason with you psychologically here. Now, all children, yes, but that's that's been one of the the more difficult parts of it, to be honest with you.
0: Now, one of the things that I know about what you've been saying, you've been talking about being a playwright, you're a musician, you are, you've dabbled in a lot of different things over the years, and music is really important in not only your life, but in the life of your family, in the life that you grew up in. So... I guess first and foremost, I'm really interested in learning a little bit more about the path, the path that you were on. Because I know that now you are, as I said, you're a musician, you're a producer, you write your own music, but you also help produce music for others. You play in bands, you write plays, you're, you know, you're doing lots of different things and bringing that artistic side, but you're also teaching and helping people in many different ways too. And There is a journey that you had to go on to be able to understand for yourself that that was the path for you. Talk to me about that journey that you went on to bring you to where you are today, but also how that path informed the way that you are fathering your daughters.
1: You know, that's a a great setup, (laughs) Chris. You know, actually, the path that took me to my professional career is greatly informed the way I'm fathering because... I didn't have a typical childhood. When I was younger, my my father is a musician, and as early as the age of twelve, we had a, a gigging family band. Like we played weddings, we played clubs, restaurants, tours, uh, festivals, that sort of thing. And it didn't leave a lot of time for, you know, the the picturesque childhood that you know you might imagine. And that wasn't the stories we hear, like the Jackson Five <laughs> or anything like that. But it was definitely a professional career. So we were working at a a young age. I'm very grateful for that because it taught me a work ethic and what work meant at an early age. Which I, you know, I remember my dad saying, all right, if you want to play music, he said, save up some money and buy your instrument and I'll pay for your lessons. I think he wanted to see how serious I was. Because my brother had already been performing, who's younger than me, with my father. And I said, oh, I'm very serious. He's like, okay, so... Go work for your uncle in his bakery (laughs) in the summer. 120 degrees back there was not that fun, let me just say. But boy, uh, do you learn a work ethic overnight, especially working something like that. You're making bread, you know. What's the most virtuous kind of craft you can have, right, to to give people literally their daily bread? And I just remember that was so grueling. I said, well, can I find a different job? (laughs) So I applied for a paper route as well. And I said, you know, can I leave working for my uncle? And he said, no. (laughs) I said, all right, well, there's a lesson in working with family right there (laughs) to begin with. But I still got the paper out too, because I wanted to speed up this process of saving up money to buy a guitar. And eventually I did, and I got lessons and started to play. And though I had a lot of my own friends, my age, peers, we'd play football, baseball, basketball, those kinds of things after school. A great deal of my friends were actually my dad's friends, who were other musicians. So it was just normal for me because I used to hang out with my grandfather all the time with his friends and watch them play cards or backgammon or something like that or do the mall walk. And it was a a different childhood because I think a great deal of the people I was interacting with were adults who were at least twice my age. And I learned so much. Most of the maxims of life that I know today came from those moments of interacting with my elders And I come from a culture, I'm Palestinian American, I I come from a Middle Eastern culture that honor and and these kinds of things are a big deal. So we learned about all of that, but we were also very American at the same time. But so there were all of these different cultural elements that I had to kind of consolidate between myself and because I'm a first generation born. And so we spoke Arabic at home. That was my maternal language as well as English. And so it was a very, very big part of the culture. And the music that we played was Middle Eastern music. So my father said, all right, you're, you're good enough now. And, and why don't you come and join us? We're going to be playing at the club. You and your brother can put on a little show. So it really became, you know, you jump right in into it. And, and we started to think, well, we have autonomy here to, to create what we want to. And so I got a little studio that we purchased, four track task camp from Guitar Center and I just sat there and recorded all day, every day. I think when it came to music, my dad didn't say anything. I could stay up late if I was practicing, if I was recording. And it was. It was just such a passion because he kept fueling it. He he fueled it not only with his enthusiasm and, and his absolute strictness. I mean, I could play a passage perfectly 10 times in a row he'd, and he'd say, okay, play it again. <laughs> hundred times. So he's really my first teacher in that sense. And I just remember that it was all of his friends, all of these interactions with older people that kept fueling it. And their reactions with us like, you guys are little kids, you're playing this and not just playing music, you're playing music of your culture, which was a very rare thing at the time. And we were speaking not only Arabic, but several dialects of Arabic, because in Chicago, we have a very diverse Middle Eastern population, some who speak Arabic, of various dialects, Lebanese, Syrian, Palestinian, Jordanian, Iraqi. And there's even the largest Aramaic speaking population here, which are Assyrians. And we interacted with them almost on a daily basis because they were just ubiquitous. They were always in the clubs and, and playing music. So we're getting this cultural education, at the same time linguistic, at the same time musical. And all of those things kind of came together. And I mean, when you're in the moment of it as a child, you don't really realize like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm doing a sociological ethnographic study here of Middle Eastern culture and its diversity from Mesopotamia to Morocco. And today I can look at it that way. But in the moment of it, it was just so fascinating to see this diversity of people. And I think that has definitely informed a lot of how I'm raising my children now, because I'm thinking back to those experiences. What did my dad do? You know, what was that weird, unconventional thing that might even land him in trouble today (laughs) with DCFS or something? But that was the pinnacle, monumental memories that happened in my life that made me who I am. And I thought, how can I recreate some of those for my, my daughters? And in a way, that is safe, but also very informative, too. And so, for example, when my wife was still pregnant, one of the first trips, I said, let's go to Andalusia in Spain. And then we crossed over into Morocco. And I said, I just, I want my child to hear Even in the womb, so much music, so much different languages, different cultures to to feel all of these things. And every band rehearsal that I had, even while she was pregnant, I would try to do it at the house so that the music was there. They can hear it in her womb. And then even after she came out into this world, my oldest and my youngest, every band rehearsal was still there. I wanted them to see, like my father and brother would come over and they'd pick up instruments. And by the time she was old enough to, to walk, my oldest daughter would go into her room, come back out with a basket of her own instruments (laughs) <laughs> and just start playing with us, and I, you know I wanted to create cultivate that kind of environment because the, the great thing that my dad did, I think was he had instruments strewn about the house everywhere, but never like said all right you 're playing this, or so go pick up that, go pick up that." Uh, he just kind of left them out. he was a percussionist, so there were drums everywhere, and just watched us gravitate towards what we wanted to play, so I ended up gravitating a lot towards bongos and the Egyptian tambourine, just loved them, fell in love with them. And so then there we were, three people, my father, my brother, and I as just all drummers. And when I went to the restaurant that my dad owned with his band, it was like their club, basically, aptly appropriately uh, titled uh, Cleopatra. (laughs) And I saw the guitarist there, and I was like just fixated and I just pointed and I said that's what I'm going to do and I told my dad and brother I said look I love you guys and I love percussion and that's what I played throughout school I said but one of us has to play melody (laughs) one of us has to have something so I settled on the guitar for that and I I just appreciated that the lesson I learned from that was my dad didn't force any particular instrument on us he kind of allowed us to find the path to what we wanted at a young age. And I find that that is really something that I'm trying to always remain conscious of even now raising children is that we really need to make sure that we always give them the space to make their own choices and their own decisions, because if it's a good one, it really boosts their confidence. If it's one that they made and need to, it gives them the opportunity reflect on if, if it's something that they didn't want to do and to think about how they can do it better next time. You know, the role of parent is really more about questioning than telling, I think. Once we understand that aspect, it's like, well, what do you think of it? Why did you do that?
0: So true. I love what you just shared there, not only about your own journey, but really about that what you're trying to create for your own daughters and allowing them to become who they are. And uh, you know, you talked about music, and I know you've taught a lot of kids, and, and your father allowed for you to be able to find music in their own way. Talk to me about what are you doing to be able to share that same love of music within your daughters and allowing them to find the music within themselves?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, I try to take them out to performances, to rehearsals. My dad dragged us with him everywhere like everywhere. And I'm trying to, you know, recreate somewhat of that experience for them and exposing them to the different cultures, different music. And because I, I'm, i you know, sense, basically I'm an ethnomusicologist. I'm somebody who studies different cultures through their music. And so I play in a lot of different groups, Indian groups, I play in Spanish flamenco group, I play in Middle Eastern groups, rock, jazz, everything you can imagine. And I'm just trying to bring them to experience all of that through me. And I think when they see the enthusiasm through me and and loving what I do, if anything at all, I just want to pass that on to them. Love what you do. You know, it's it's a very important thing. And, And see if it's something that you can reconcile to help other people with it as well. So that's definitely one thing. Again, I'm... I'm not forcing the music on them, but I did just sign up my uh, oldest for piano lessons. and we have a piano at home, and I I taught her. She wanted to learn the instrument I play, which is the lute as well. So I I taught her a little bit about that. And though I am a teacher, though I I can teach her music and everything, I I just, I'll never stop being her dad. (laughs) So it's always kind of a helpful thing to have somebody outside, because it changes the psyche of how they receive everything, Right. So I signed her up for piano lessons with a local music school here recently. My youngest seems to show a very strong aptitude for just engineering and doing things with her hands and and being outside in nature. So anything that I'm seeing they're interested in, I'm, I'm trying to just cultivate it without being a helicopter parent, but to just... Provide the resources to see if they're led to it. And I just said this to my wife yesterday, too. I said, you know, we have to really catch ourselves sometimes. We're so busy trying to plan things for them. I think sometimes the most valuable time for children is that time for them to just discover, to do whatever they want to do. Go outside and play. Go do, do whatever. Even even if it's watching, it doesn't mean they're not doing anything.
0: No. When, and when they're watching, they're definitely doing something.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: you find that out, like the next day, the next week, the next month, when they come back to you and they say something to you and you're like, oh, you were watching.
1: Oh, yes, yes. Or five minutes later when they repeat exactly what I was like, where did you hear that? Because I know I didn't say it.
0: (laughs) Those those wonderful moments when those happen. So the question that has to be at hand is, is there going to be a family band?
1: You know, my wife is an excellent artist she draws very well she she does all those things and 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 we do kind of have this family band going here at home you know where i'll encourage them to to play and i said i'm going to join you i'm going to play with you or you play with me and i'll you know we'll switch off instruments and i think some of my funnest and most really just memorable moments are when we're not playing necessarily a song but i said let's make up a song and i said you start first and then you start first and then i kind of join in and before you know it we've got this imp- Provisatory kind of song going on uh, that we're making up right there on the spot, and uh, it, it's it's amazing to see that kind of percolating in their minds, to see that boisterous kind of discovery that they're they're making right there. Will there be a full family band? I mean, I hope so. You know, it. it I'll tell you, it was one of the greatest experiences in my life, and I know not everybody can relate to this because it's, it's it is kind of rare, but. To perform with your family, to perform with my dad, to perform with my brother. And I'm talking on like a, you know, constant basis in a very professional setting. It made me who I am. It helped me understand so much about life, so much about discipline, what it means to be disciplined and to love something so much that you dedicate your life to doing what it is. But I'm not going to force them to do all those things. I want them to have a childhood.
0: (laughs) So you mean you're not going to be reopening the Cleopatra Club?
1: I won't be reopening the Cleopatra Club, but maybe I'll write a Cleopatra play and they can be in it.
0: (laughs) You've been on such an interesting journey, and I really appreciate you sharing that. Now, I always finish our interviews with what I like to call our Fatherhood Five, where I ask you five more questions to delve deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? I am. In one word, what is fatherhood?
1: One word? (laughs) Responsibility.
0: When was the time that you finally felt like you succeeded in being a father to a daughter. <laughs> I'm
1: still waiting for that. <laughs> I'm still learning, Chris. That's what I can tell you.
0: Now, if I was to talk to your daughters and ask them, how would they describe you as a dad? Hmm.
1: <laughs> I'm scared of that. <laughs> Fun. I try to get them involved in everything that I do. Cooking, playing, biking, whatever it is. So kind of like a playmate.
0: Now, who inspires you to be a better dad?
1: Well, definitely, I have to say, you know, first and foremost, my own dad, the good and the bad. So many people think that we only learn from role models with this positive streak, but it's amazing how much you learn what not to do from people. So definitely, that's probably the first.
0: You've talked about a lot of different aspects of your own fatherhood and the way that you are fathering your children if in leaving today... What's one piece of advice that you'd want to leave with
1: dads? Always leave room for discovery with your children. Never, ever, ever underestimate them. There's way more going on than they let on. And just because they are younger with lesser experience, always, always, always leave room in your heart and your mind to learn from them. I can't say I've had better teachers sometimes in my life than my own children who are a mirror to me. uh, They make you want to better yourself if you're open enough to do so. You know, it's very easy to fall into this trope of, don't do this, don't do that, no, 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 and and not realize like, well, wait, that was a learning opportunity for me too. How do I react? How do I behave? And what behavior are they modeling after me? So it's this acute awareness of being self-aware, but being humble enough to realize that you know, just because we brought them into this world doesn't mean that they're not here to teach us. So always be open to to learning from your children to better yourself.
0: So important. And I think it gets lost sometimes along the way, as we're trying to parent them, that they can teach us so many things, even though they may not have the experience that we have, but they have a different experience. And they can teach you along the way, which I appreciate you sharing that. Now, if people want to learn more about you and what you're doing, your music, your plays, all the things that you're doing, (laughs) that family band that's coming down the road, where's the best place for them to be able to follow along?
1: I mean, they could just also Google my name, (laughs) Ronnie Malley. You can visit my website, RonnieMalley.com. Probably better to just Google my name because I don't have time to put everything on my website (laughs) because I'm busy doing.
0: Well, Ronnie, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing your journey, for Um, sharing the journey that you have as a father, but also as a son and as a musician. And I wish you all the best.
1: Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for having me on and getting me to think about all of these things as well. Wishing you the best and great luck with the podcast. Thank you so much.
0: If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org.